Hello and welcome. This is a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm editor-in-chief of ukraineworld.org and I'm joined by my colleague, analyst and journalist at Ukraine World and Internews Ukraine, Maxim Panchenko. Hello, Maxim. Hello. Thanks so much for joining me in this monthly episode. So uh, traditionally we are discussing the key events in Ukraine in uh, in September 2021. We will also a little bit touch upon the events in early October because there are some some events were very important. So what are the key events in September in your opinion? So first of all, we'll start off with uh, with the Pandora Papers that have hit the entire world in the recent days, but also have touched upon Ukraine. And then we'll switch to some topics that involve Ukraine's foreign policy, Zelensky's speech at the UN General Assembly, the Ukraine-Hungary tensions over the new gas contract bypassing Ukraine, uh, President Lukashenko's visit to Moscow and how that can reflect on Ukraine's security and elections in Germany and how that can reflect on, on the talks around Donbass. When it comes to domestic policy, we'll talk about the anti-oligarchic bill that has been quite disputed this month in Ukraine and we'll also talk about the developments around the chairman of the Verkhovna Rada, Dmitry Razumkov, and how he, uh, how he is about to be sacked from his position by the administration. So indeed, it's very interesting. We will start with this, uh, with this, uh, I would say, interesting episode in in the question about the offshores. And uh, there was this international publication, Pandora Papers, uh, published just uh, a few a few days ago, um, and uh, in early October. Therefore, we're trying to also to talk about this. And the Ukrainian media project Slitsto Info published a. Uh, documentary about it and so the key the key thing about this, the whole story is that the paradox the the contradiction between the intentions of Mr. Zelensky Ukrainian president and the rhetorics behind this presidency in which he argues that he is fighting against oligarchs that he is fighting against corruption etc but these pandora papers reveal that uh, well there is something going on in his offshores as well and uh, before his presidency it was quite quite a long time before his presidency but uh, it seems that he he's involved into the uh, into the dubious schemes which were also involving the oligarch Igor Kolomoisky who uh, who is the key behind the TV channel One Plus One, on which Mr. Zelensky had uh, his show Quartal uh, 95, Quartal 95. So, uh, interestingly enough, uh, this anti-offshore, anti-corruption, anti-oligarchic rhetoric hits against Zelensky himself. And, and if we remember how, for example, before the uh, 2019 election, Mr. Poroshenko, Ukrainian previous president, was hit by the scandal in the Panama Papers. Now we have this kind of a, a reflection, interesting, symmetrical, almost symmetric reflection in the Pandora Papers hitting Mr. Zelensky. Maxim, what do you think? What will be the consequences of, of this publication? Well, indeed, I must say that this is kind of a double-edged sword story because it's not that uh, it's not only about the problem being 
in Mr. Zelensky's having any assets in the offshores. Maybe that, per se, maybe that is not something that out of the uh, out of the line, because too too many politicians, too many businessmen do that. But the fact that he indeed had this rhetoric against these things before the election, and that he won the election inter alia uh, based on, on this rhetoric, this poses some very serious questions. And Mr. Zelensky has, or his administration, have... Um, reacted quite scarcely to uh, to this development uh, there has been not so much to be heard from them they barely said that well this was long uh, long before the presidency and this was just the, the only efficient way for business to to survive because those were the conditions we, we needed to operate in and so on so um, that's uh, on the one hand I think that is something that may may save him to an extent because indeed he was never an oligarch like you know like many other oligarchs in ukraine however uh, it should be understood that um, this fact that, if, that that he fought it so much before the election on the other hand uh, this is going to to make the the topic stay in the political for, for some time to come because especially uh, mr poroshenko uh, notwithstanding the fact that he was guilty in the previous scandal in the Panama, uh, Panama papers that you mentioned, uh, he still um, hits quite hard uh, when it comes to to Mr. Zelensky and when, and when it comes to his uh, guilt in this in this story. Poroshenko is very vociferous now, and he uses every opportunity to you know to blame Zelensky, even though several years ago he was guilty of a similar thing. Uh, it's interesting also how, for example, well, we are talking this investigation by Slits to Info from the Pandora Papers. We understand that Pandora Papers is probably the biggest leak of these offshore documents in history, even bigger than Panama Papers. There are hundreds of thousands, millions of, of files um, uh, started by the journalists. Uh, the biggest figure that is in these papers regarding uh, Mr. Zelensky is $40 million, which, uh, well, which is a big sum, of course, for any any average citizen, but which probably is not a big sum for oligarchs. But, of course, we are talking about tax evasion. Of course, we are talking about, you know, the fact that uh, the, the relations between these offshore companies and the TV channel OnePlus One owned by Kolomoisky and Privat Bank, which was then owned by Kolomoisky, there was relations uh, around, you know, product, uh, the entertainment product uh, produced in Ukraine, the, the show Quartal de Unostopiat and all this stuff. But interestingly, all the, you know, financial transactions were were done in the offshore uh, in the in the in the so-called um, tax havens right and uh, this raises lots of questions about how these people were evading taxes and um, indeed the consequences can be quite interesting we we should we should follow this uh, we should follow follow this scandal and understand to which extent it will also lead to 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 certain problems of mr zelensky because the panama papers hit Poroshenko very, very, very much. Of, although the difference is that we are talking in the Pandora Papers about, you know, offshore operations when Zelensky was just a businessman, entertainment businessman, not a president, while the Panama Papers were talking, were mentioning the operations which which were involving the the um, Zelensky, uh, Poroshenko when he was a president, but... But yeah, probably 
The symmetry is not ideal, but there is a symmetry. Another topic, another development, it is also worth looking at in, in this context, is the, you know, Zelensky kind of a crusade against oligarchs. Uh, and so the bill, anti-oligarchic bill, was uh, presented to the parliament and, 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 and is uh, widely discussed and voted in the parliament and, and widely discussed in the in the Ukrainian uh, in the Ukrainian uh, media and uh, it seems that uh, servant of the people uh, is trying to kind of uh, you know uh, create uh, create certain certain clear indicators uh, indicators who is the oligarch and um, in order to prevent them from uh, from you know uh, privatizing enterprises etc but the question is whether whether this bill will be efficient, whether this move is efficient. What can you say, Maxim, about this? Well, there are several things I'd like to mention in this context. First of all, there are, of course, questions to, to the contents of the, of the bill, um, namely to the haziness of who can be recognized as, uh, as an oligarch. But the bigger problem, I think, is about the entourage in which this bill was adopted. I, what I mean is that the procedure that was or not or was not adhered to uh, in the Verkhovna Rada when it was voted because there, there were different and a good amount of uh, reports uh, on the part of MPs themselves and of the media that uh, procedures had been broken, um, which is not a very good thing. And uh, this uh, bill also was voted before um, Ukraine received the, uh, the results of the discussion or, or the conclusions of the Venice Commission uh, on the bill. So this, uh, this is something that may tarnish the reputation of not only of the bill, but also more broadly of the administration, uh, who tries to do these things so hastily. But the biggest problem around the bill um, is that, that, that I see, is that um, it is so ambitious, but it is hardly going to, to be working efficiently before other elements of Ukraine's um, of Ukraine's administration, of Ukraine's judiciary are working properly. So, as as far as I can see, uh, Zelensky should have thought, uh, first of all, about effective uh, judicial reform, about all those safeguards when it comes to law enforcement that would uh, ensure that this bill, particularly this bill, um, would be implemented uh, you know, according according to its letter, and it would be effective. Uh, but now, even though this bill is 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 ambitious, at least its intention is, um, it is very hard to say whether whether anything will really be able to stop all the guards from doing what the, from what they're doing. Uh, because again, with no judiciary in place, they may just be keeping paying off people, judges, and so on. So. I think that that's where the biggest gap is. Indeed, and and the question is whether this bill will what is what is what it is going to do to the oligarchs. For example, it can it can prohibit them to influence politics. For example, it can it can do something else, but. Uh, uh, it can prohibit them from, you know, privatizing big enterprises. But the problem is that all the big enterprises have been already privatized, and uh, uh, and uh, whether whether the the bill will indeed uh, make some problems for these oligarchs to extend their power. 
uh, it's indeed questionable because they they can continue funding political parties or political players, you know, in the in a hidden way. But uh, we'll see how it will it will change the Ukrainian politics. Whether it will change the Ukrainian politics, but it's interesting how, for example, Zelensky is trying to show uh, the different approach towards oligarchs because uh, during the Poroshenko era, we could we could say that Poroshenko was one of the oligarchs. He could say, well, some oligarchs, uh, all oligarchs are equal, but some oligarchs are more equal than others. And to rephrase uh, the famous uh, the famous formula of George Orwell, and uh, Poroshenko was this one of the oligarchs who was more equal than other oligarchs. Kuchma, for example, was trying to make the oligarchs serve his system, and in a, in a way, he was doing. The that copying what especially not copying even but maybe even copying what what Yeltsin was doing in 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 Russia in the 90s but then we have seen that Ukrainian oligarchs felt themselves much more free than oligarchs in Russia and probably they therefore they they created this plurality of big capital who who is competing between each other uh, Yanukovych was trying to erase, uh, totally er- erase this um, this approach, and um, and uh, in a way, uh, in a way, introduce some new oligarchs, like members of his entourage. And we also we have seen that it didn't work because oligarchs were not happy about that. So oligarchs, uh, everybody's pointing at oligarchs as a kind of a problem of Ukrainian society, but it's clear that there is no simple solution. And it's clear that if you want to fight against oligarchs, you will have a, a very powerful, uh, powerful reaction. Uh, but of course, we will follow these developments. Another important thing uh, around Ukrainian politics is the fact that uh, there is a clear dissent in the uh, ruling party, in the servant of the people, and we we see that the uh, the person who is amplifying, who is embodying the dissent, is the speaker of the parliament, the head of the parliament, Mr. Razumkov, and we see a clear conflict between Zelensky and Razumkov, although they were part of the team and Razumkov became a head of the parliament uh, because he was one of the closest per- uh, people to Zelensky. Now we see that Zelensky is gathering his deputies, his member of parliament in Truskavets, you know, to, to, to give the guidelines on what is going to happen next and to kind of a consolidate the team, but Razumkov was not invited there. But on the other hand, Razumkov, given the scandal of Pandora Papers, is you know initiating some moves by the parliament to examine this issue. So we we are seeing kind of an increasing conflict between the president and the speaker of the parliament. What do you think about it? Well, first of all, uh, it is well, it's not. It is not necessarily big news that there are some disagreements between Zelensky and uh, and Razumkov, but it should be noted that publicly there have been little events at, uh, on which they uh, they disagreed publicly. Uh, as far as I can remember, the one big thing was uh, a couple of months back when there was a sitting of the Security and Defense Council and Razumkov, as far as I remember, was the only one who voted against or, or withheld his vote when it came to voting against um, all the 
Vanguard and, and imposing sanctions uh, against their TV channels, uh, namely when it comes to the channels of uh, uh, Mr. Medvedchuk. So uh, that was one thing. And another thing uh, is, um, as I previously mentioned, uh, the anti-oligarch bill, as it was sent to, to the Venice Commission for examination, and uh, this is something that was peddled by uh, by Mr. Rosenkow. So those are the two issues, but those are two big issues. And But what I would really like to do here is to take a step back and to embed this, this situation with Mr. Rosenkow into a bigger picture. Because on the one hand, I can understand that Mr. Zelensky wants uh, maximum unanimity in his team that uh, he uh, uh, that he wants to gather ev everyone to spearhead everybody in his team towards the same goals but at the same time um, the case of Mr. Razumkov is indicative of the fact that this tendency is is beginning to uh, to remind of maybe not a purge but uh, a combat against plurality. It cannot. It cannot. This process cannot come at uh, at the expense of political plurality and democracy because that is something that at the end of the day Ukraine is is moving towards. So uh, I cannot really say that this is definitely a red line with Mr. Rosenkov specifically, but uh, it uh, it demonstrates some tendencies that I think are not uh, speaking in Mr. Zelensky's favor at the time being. Indeed, and let's uh, let's look at the situation from a kind of a political perspective that the key persons uh, which were in Zelensky's team during the uh, two, uh, 2019 election, uh, many of them have, have already gone. Like Mr. Bogdan, who was the head of Zelensky's office, one of the greatest, uh, this eminence Greece of the Zelensky's administration, he has gone. Now, uh, Razumkov, also one of the key people, there is an, a clear confrontation between Zelensky and Razumkov. We can talk about Ruslan Ryabushapka, who was one of the also key personalities, who was also then the prosec prosecutor general. He has also gone. Uh, we can talk about, for example, Honcharuk, Alexei Honcharuk, who was also presented during the campaign by Zelensky as a kind of a, he's, he's prime minister, and we know that the government of, of Mr. Honcharuk didn't last too much. And who has left in the surroundings of the Zelensky's? Primarily his friends, primarily his, you know, closest, closest friends. It's a kind of a very close circle. So we're talking about Mr. Bakanov, who is head of the SBU and who is Zelensky, you know, friend from childhood. We are talking about Shefir. Who is one of the one of these closest friends and and aides uh, who who helped Zelensky to develop uh, the Quartal de Nostopiad show and some other people. And by the way, with Shafir, there is a, a there is a clear uh, clear you know event which is also draws our attention to the the attempt to of a murder of Mr. Shafir. Uh, when the car in which he was driving was a kind of obje object of a, of a shooting and uh, the driver was uh, wounded 
And Zelensky, at the time, he was uh, in the United States and giving his speech, uh, not at, at this precise time, but uh, shortly afterwards, he was giving this speech at the United Nations General Assembly. We will talk about it very shortly, but it's important that nobody really knows what is behind this attempted murder of Mr. Shafir. So Shafir is safe and sound, but of course, everybody around is, is thinking, what was it? Because it was like crime from the 90s you know the 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 car which was it was in the key of suburbs and was uh shot several times and the driver was wounded um it's it's not like a very you know sophisticated uh murder attempt it it, it really reminds the gunster years of the 90s uh, so uh we already touched upon this Zelensky speech at the United Nations General Assembly. It was quite quite an interesting, quite an unusual speech, I would say. Um, what would you say about this speech? Because before you say, before you probably react upon how it was reacted in, in, in the Ukrainian politics, I would say that Zelensky was uh, kind of a trying to... And, uh, he trying to give metaphors in in his style, trying to give memes, and one of the meme was that United Nation is a retired Superman. So, um, and another issue he was trying to show that Ukraine is, you know, trying to help other countries of the world uh, by, you know, by by making supplies of, you know, equipment by helping with COVID, etc. And it's very good that Ukraine is doing that, but it seemed that it was a little bit, to say the least, overestimated the way how Ukraine is helping other countries, because Ukraine is, itself is also dependent on the help of other countries in terms of vaccination, etc. So it seems that Ukraine is trying to think of itself as a kind of a not only a demander of help during the war, but also as a supplier of help. Uh, helped during the evacuation in Afghanistan, helped during you no know, fires in Turkey, helped during the, the pandemic, but it, it sounded a little bit a little bit too naive. Uh, it seems that well, this rhetoric that Ukraine has waken up since a very long time and and the whole world cannot wake up it was it was a good rhetoric i would say it was a good rhetoric for the home population for the home citizens for ukrainians but not for the international public uh, and and Zelensky was trying to play also a, a kind of a person look we try to waken up the international community um so what is your take on it what is your reaction to it well i generally agree with you uh, i can also understand mr zelensky why he wanted to showcase ukraine's involvement in helping other countries and i think that's the right instinct to do because apart from uh, from doing something good and from making something good um, this needs to be communicated to the world for it to see that ukraine is not only receiving but also giving but the the specific rhetoric in which this message has been inscribed, um, I, I here I can I can agree with you that uh, this was put quite naively on his part. So yes, and if we look at the at the statements that have been made, in particular by Mr. Yermak, head of the presidential office, and uh, Mr. Kuleba, Ukraine's foreign minister, they both stated that uh, Ukraine's president's speech at the UN General Assembly was um, among the strongest. Th they delivered the sentiment of the world. 
allegedly that uh, that they perceived his his uh, statement his his speech as uh, as one of the strongest uh, this uh, this general assembly however uh, what i what i think is worth talking here the most is the way he tried to almost teach the world to preach from those from that uh, you know from that floor that uh, the UN is, has to uh, has to wake up and as you said the UN was the retired superhero um, in my opinion this was also quite uh, maybe not overstepping but at least naive as you mentioned because uh, there were no very specific solutions that Mr. Zelensky propounded and uh, that way it it seemed like more um, maybe complaining about how the world operates but not propounding to, to lead that Ukraine that Ukraine leads the world uh, insofar as he was talking about Ukraine's achievements so and especially a, a very big part of his of his speech was dedicated to examples of things that need to be fixed here domestically in Ukraine, and from the reactions that I uh, that I gathered, um, it was perceived, you know, again as uh, oh, ambivalently because uh, when you come onto the stage, onto the floor, you need to talk about you know global issues, which Zelensky talked about, but he also was perceived to to talk too much about domestic issues and concentrate too much on his own problems. So that is something that reverberated from what I can gather from the reactions and opinions uh, across, you know, across the media spectrum. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Uh, so kind of a, this may, maybe a little bit populist, messianistic rhetoric behind his speech. So let's, uh, maybe we will rock up, wrap up and uh, talk a little bit about the external surroundings. Uh, one thing is very interesting and, and of course worrying for Ukraine is the words of Mr. Lukashenko who is increasingly playing like a you know aide to Mr. Putin uh, he's, he's kind of a servant maybe even and he said that well he's very worried about events in Ukraine the fact that Americans are in Ukraine and making the military bases in Ukraine and all this you know quite crazy things that he was um, he, he's fantasizing about but uh, he also said that we should do something about Ukraine together with Russia and uh, of course it increases the fears in Ukraine that Belarus will be increasingly playing the role of, of another Russia's instrument to pressure Ukraine and maybe even a, a kind of a platform for eventual military operations on the north you know, on the northern Ukrainian northern border what do you think? Well essentially uh, my, my thoughts are, would be the reiteration of what we talked about a couple of podcasts back, but the new development in this in this um, respect is that this month uh, Mr. Lukashenko visited Russia for the fifth time since the beginning of this year and he agreed for the 28 uh, integration programs with Russia, because we know about this concept of the Union State. And uh, even though it is not uh, relinquishing Belarus's uh, independence and sovereignty to Russia just yet it's about making you know the two countries more uniform but not but not supranational uh, supranational organs however the tendency that this is leading to shows that um, we may soon be talking not only about the threat that is coming from Belarus as an ally of Russia we may soon be talking also about the immediate threat from Russia that is coming from the territory what once has been 
Belarus because from the tendencies that we, that we can that we can uh, observe this is exactly what's happening and of course there is going to be you know some time lag before that happens a couple of years maybe but uh, the swiftness to the, the swiftness with which it happens it's it's disturbing for Ukraine and again yes as you mentioned about the 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 length of the border between Ukraine and uh, and Belarus that is that is really worrying because Ukraine has been concentrating on in the east uh, where Russia is and where the Russian threat comes from but when it comes about uh, when it comes to Belarus uh, I cannot say that Ukraine has been doing something too specific or at least something that would be publicly known to protect its northern borders and uh, if that's an Achilles feat of Ukraine of course that would be a major defeat for us indeed and Ukraine is is now finding itself in increasingly difficult security situation and the developments in Belarus very tragic for uh, Belarusian people of course for Belarusian democracy yeah, can also only have also have consequences for Ukraine. To our listeners, let me draw your attention that at Ukraine World we are publishing regular newsletters about Belarus, which is called Belarus Watch, in which we are following very very closely the uh, Russian Russian influences in Belarus and increasing political and economical takeover of Belarus by Russia. So follow follow us at ukraineworld.org and follow this uh, newsletter, Belarus Watch, which is done uh, actually by Belarusian experts, very good Belarusian experts, and it is available in English. The last topic which I would like to mention is the gas topic. So Ukraine is also kind of uh, hit by this quite a crazy uh, situation with the prices on on gas on European spot markets, but um, another in important development is that Ukraine is increasingly finding itself in a difficult situation with regard to gas transit, and one of the latest news is that Hungary made a, a, a deal with Russia that it will get the Russian gas not through the Ukrainian territory but rather going through the through the south through the Turkish stream uh, through Serbia through Austria and uh, Ukraine was quite furious about that it even called Hungarian ambassador uh, Hungary called Ukrainian ambassador so it uh, increased tensions between the two countries which uh, relations between Hungary and Ukraine are not ideal unfortunately there are so many difficulties but um, Ukraine is uh, is basically facing the reality uh, about which it was uh, it was talking for quite a long time that it can uh, it can basically uh, leave at a certain point it can basically stay without any transit of russian gas through its through its territory and maybe it is something that it could have been expected given the Russian military aggression since 2014. Maybe Ukraine should have been preparing itself for such developments. And um, of course it can complain and, and justly complain about the unfairness of the situation with Nord Stream, which is basically serving German interests much more than interests of any other country uh, of the European continent, including EU member states. But has Ukraine been prepared for such developments, which again can be uh, forecastable? What do you think? Well, I think in this respect we need to um, to talk about uh, about uh, the the 
purely gas component of this transit issue and the security component of this gas issue. Because when it comes to um, to the purely gas component, I think the, uh, Ukraine should have thought about uh, getting off this needle long, very, very long ago, even before we uh, signed the new contract for gas transit, which is due to come to an end in 2024. Um, because we constantly are walking into pro uh, problems with Russia during years and years. So when it comes to purely economic reasons, we should have walked out of this and, and, and learned how to substitute this revenue for Ukraine's budget long ago. Uh, and uh, that, of course, would uh, deprive Russia from a, uh, from a particularly uh, big and effective leverage on Ukraine. When it comes to security component, it's a big it's a bit more complicated because because part of why uh, Ukraine uh, wants to remain a transit state is because that uh, serves that status serves a bit of like an, a guarantee that Russia will not attack Ukraine full time because once Ukraine stops being a gas transit state um, Russia will have no interest in it uh, being kept in place as a transit state or physically you know, at all, so uh, it, it may invade Ukraine full-time. Uh, uh, you know, um, a solution to this that I would suggest is that um, we need to work on a situation, we need to diplomatically uh, drive uh, our partners to a situation when it will not be only Ukraine who will stop to be uh, to be the gas transitor, but we'll also need to fight for Europe to stop using uh, Russian gas, because if we have Ukraine that is no longer a gas transit state, and we have Europe that is still using Russian gas through Nord Streams and, st and through Turk Stream, so in that case Russia can invade Ukraine, and Europe will have, maybe it will have incentives to defend Ukraine, but it will, it will also be dependent on this, you know, gas uh, gas supplies, direct gas supplies, and and it may not be as vociferous in defending Ukraine as it should be. However, if we uh, at the same time as stopping being a gas transit state, can convince Europe to to switch to Norway gas and to Algerian gas and, you know, to LNG terminals, which are already uh, present in, in Europe. I'm not an expert, maybe I'm naive in this thing, but, you, but, but Europe needs to be synchronized with Ukraine, because that way, at that moment, if Ukraine is, is attacked by Russia, uh, there is a bigger chance that it will be supported by, uh, by Europe than, than if Europe were dependent on Russian gas. Indeed, the security component is one of the most important in this uh, respect. So it's not about only about economics. It's not only about even politics, but it's uh, it's very much about security. But uh, the the current situation, even on on European gas market, shows that how easily uh, monopolists, uh, not necessarily Russia, by the way, but monopolists can play the market and can can play with the, with the prices. For example, of course, we understand that the current situation does not mean that it's all about Russia. There are so many factors, you know, from uh, from increase of Asian demand for gas to to closure of some very important gas fields in Europe itself. But it's it's always very dangerous to be dependent on a kind of a monopolist, especially when this monopolist is using gas as a kind of a, you know, 
tool in a hybrid war, much more than economic tool. This was a, a, our podcast explaining Ukraine. Uh, we were we have been talking with Maxim Panchenko, my colleague from Ukraine World, about the major developments in and around Ukraine in September 2021. Follow us on uh, social networks, on Facebook, on Twitter, on SoundCloud, uh, on Apple, on uh, Google Podcasts, and uh, stay with us. Thank you.